Welcome back to Joygasm, a video game and movie podcast. I'm Russ, Xbox Live Toaster 360. He is Steve, Xbox Live Stevevich. And we are reflecting on our inner John Spartan in episode 117 today, April 12th, 2019. We are going to be able to catch up with each other and find out what has been going on in each other's lives over the past week. Followed by the trailer that has taken the internet by storm today, Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker, we will be giving our reactions to. And then finally, we'll be diving into our topic of the day, which is... Halo memoirs the past, present, and future of the franchise. So I, for one, I'm definitely looking forward to it. And I I think ever since Steve got me for my birthday, the Master Chief Collection, it has brought back a lot of the old faithful memories. What was it? 2001 was uh, when it first came out, when the first one came out? Yeah, about that. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's been a while. I been, mean, it was it was whenever the Xbox first launched because it was the launch title with it. I believe the Xbox, the original Xbox system, was released in two thousand one. I want to say two thousand one, maybe two thousand, but I'm pretty sure it was two thousand one because they were late to the party. Because the Dreamcast, the Sega Dreamcast, came out in nineteen ninety nine. <laughs> then the PS two came out in two thousand. Is it ninety nine or two thousand? Then Xbox was the last one to the party. Hey guys. Yeah, you save any punch for me? So, <laughs> any jello shots? Anything? Yeah. Well, where are the hors d'oeuvres? Can someone point me in the direction of food? <laughs> so, how are you doing, Steve? Uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm getting along, you know? Getting along? Getting along. It's good that you get along, Steve. I saw I uh, had a DVD that was, or excuse me, <laughs> a Blu ray that was downstairs, finally. I didn't, you didn't tell me it was here. I had to kind of stumble on it. I saw Appreciate that that um, was there today, actually. Um, you know, I got another one in the mail. The one I had last time I was here. Brought it home. It's Bumblebee, Russ. I didn't realize that you had put that in your queue. Russ, I know. I don't share my cue with you on a regular basis. <laughs> this is the next 36 movies I have lined up, just so you're aware. I know oh, you're going to forget. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, why do you have that one in there? Yeah. <laughs> oh, don't see that one. That one sucked. The ending happened like this. <laughs> no, no. Uh. Uh. <laughs> no. Oh. Stupid. So, anyhow, did you have an interesting bumblebee? Do you want to come over and watch it, Ross? Perhaps, Steve. Well, per- I didn't know. I didn't know better than perhaps, because then I'm going to keep it for the next three weeks. Ah, well, we'll talk about it <laughs> after the show. <laughs> That's we'll good. see if the old Jeez. schedule lines up. You know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> what you're trying to say is perhaps. That's what I said. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty much what I said. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You are on the money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was uh, I was anthemless this week, Russ. Didn't play it once. Neither did I. And I feel good. Really? Yeah. You feel like like having a break from Anthem is a step in the right direction. I do. I do. I put back in Resident Evil, and I beat Claire's story. Claire. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. I didn't realize that you were putting that much time into Resident Evil, but yeah. I suppose that, you know, now that I think about it, you haven't been playing Anthem, and there hasn't, I mean, aside from... Forza, there really hasn't been any other games that you've been really putting a lot of time into. So. Yeah, 
there well there, there's still quite a few there's about there's four there's i still have to continue god of war per, uh, your, per your request uh-huh i still have to continue uh spider-man mm-hmm. spider pie do you still have an external hard drive no ross uh yes <laughs> yeah i think i do yes yes i think i do okay I still have to start uh, Potty Mouth Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Oh, yes. And I still have to start... Um, but did well, you buy it? Uh, yes, Russ. You bought that one? Oh, uh, did you buy it on the sale? Yes. You uh, yeah. love those sales. Love when they <laughs> come through. Especially when you know you're not going to play the game for quite a while, like months after you buy it. It's good to know that you picked it up for half price. Exactly. So... I oh you know what I did too, yeah because I knew this episode was coming, Ross. In honor of us talking about one one seven, I bought Halo Wars two. Did you? I bought that a while ago. I know I haven't played it. I played Halo Wars one, which was fun for a single go around. I don't know about two go arounds, but it was fun while it lasted. Sure. So I figured I'd pick this one up too. It's I don't think it's as good as the. First Halo Wars. So far, I'm still in the beginning. But a lot of the guns and stuff look kind of the same. To me, it's it was exactly the same as Halo as the first Halo Wars. Like there I didn't really notice any kind of major changes. It just it just was Halo Wars to me. I was like, okay, I'll play through it. And yeah. it's a game that like I mean, obviously I'm a fan of of Halo mm-hmm. and I'm a fan of real time strategy mm-hmm. like StarCraft and Warcraft, <laughs> you know, those types of games. So it's like, but I'm not. I don't think it's a kind of game that I would play a lot of on console. To me, that's more of a PC game. Right. Right. But that's just one man's opinion. Well, I picked it up for 20 bucks. So, but the music is good. The cinematics are the good. The cinematics too. are good. Right. And the, um, you know, I, I like all the little voices and the little sound effects and stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay. Pretty good. No good, Steve. Let's see. I think lastly, Russ, lastly, I finished season one of Frontier. And I think you should watch it. I think you should try it out. Telling you, your 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 boy Mimosa, he's uh, he's you'd like him in this. So he acts in here how he probably should have acted in uh, Aquaman, Aqu- Waterboy. Really? Yes, Waterboy. <laughs> You're going to confuse our listeners. He's talking about Jason Momoa in Aquaman. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Fish, <laughs> the Fish Whisperer. If you had. <laughs> Uncle Man over for dinner. What kind of wine would you serve him? Ooh. It's very difficult to know. Yeah. Well, he likes all kinds of alcohol, so I don't think it'll be that hard. But he does swim with the fishes. Yes, that's true. Mm. Anyhow, I think that is about it. I still have a long list of stuff I got to watch on Netflix still. Uh-huh. I still got to start Narcos. I still got to start... I thought you already started Narcos. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Narcos Mexico. I'll clarify. Narcos, Narcos Mexico. Mexico. Oh. Mexico. Is that the one that's after season three? Uh-huh. How many seasons are there? Well, what comes after three, Rush? Think about it for a minute. I, uh... Well, okay, so this one's kind of like its own separate 
thing. It's still Narcos, but it's not like it's not season four of Narcos. It's not continuing where season three left right. off. This is kind of its own standalone. Right. <gasps> so yeah, the, the same I think, Yeah. Anyway, still gonna start that. Uh, still gotta finish the last season of House of Cards. I still need to watch that too. I oh, know. I forgot about that. Right. So yeah, and then there's uh, there's a few other things in there, but I keep on scrolling by. They get up, man. There it is. I just mm, I know I'm not gonna stop thinking about it until I watch it from start to finish. Well, I'm telling you, now is the time to get through as much of that as possible because when once you get married then things are going to be a little more difficult in terms of just, you know, if you want to watch something for as long as you want to watch it, those those days are gone. Russ. And then, you know, of course, comes the inevitable love child that will pop out at some point in time, whether you plan for it or not. Because obviously, when you get married, you talk about politics, and that always produces a child. <laughs> and then... You'll have even less time. Russ, it's all about putting your foot down. Oh, yeah. Okay, it's oh, all yeah. about putting your foot yeah. down, being the man. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm so happy you're here to school me on how to do this sort of thing. You change the diaper. I'm going to watch a movie. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how long you last. Coming over here with her tail tucked between your legs. She kicked yeah. me out again. Yeah, yeah. And she's going to say, you know what? I really enjoy changing diapers. <laughs> I, I, Wow, I've been missing all this. And I can live off of four hours of sleep. Is it bad to say it's an aphrodisiac? <laughs> I don't know. Man. Well, I have a few things that I've been looking forward to telling you about there, Steve. We've got quite a few little uh, books that I wanted to show you. Mm -hmm. uh, first and foremost, and this actually, this came in the mail today. And I was not anticipating it. I was not expecting it. But one of our patrons mm -hmm. uh, mailed us something based off of our last episode. If you Interesting. Yes. If you recall our last episode, we did the review of Shazam, which I didn't say. Go ahead, Steve. Say it. Shazam! Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so anyway, um, I received a text <laughs> from uh, none other than PJ Ryder. Ah, yes. Such a classy gentleman, staunch supporter of Joygasm. And uh, and actually, here I'll, I'll uh, before I, I show you, I uh, I'll just oh, well, it, it can't see me because the microphone is in the way. I gotta try to unlock it the old-fashioned way. Hold on, <laughs> the phone won't unlock with my face with the microphone in front of it. Yeah, for some reason it just doesn't recognize it. What's that about? So anyway, uh, he texts me and uh, he's he asked, "Did uh, you get something today in the mail?" And uh, and uh, I was looking at him like my what? water bill. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my mortgage. <laughs> and he says, I sent you something after your Shazam review. And I'm like, what? And so I, I checked and I asked um, my wife and, and she, at first she was like, no. But then she thought, she's like, wait a minute. Actually, you did get something from Amazon. I was like, I did. So then she's like, yeah. And she brought it over. And, and um, so um, I opened it up and sure enough, we got... 
the uh, Shazam Origins. Oh, look at that. Which is really cool. If you if you take a look at that, that's actually, you know, flip through the pages, it's the, the comic book origins of Shazam, which I believe are based off the film itself. So... And I think that's what he was saying was that it was it was based off the the movie and and he just said please enjoy and and he's and um, I thanked him I was like man I can't wait to show Steve this and and he said anytime I love hearing you guys every week I think this is the least I could do um, also if you uh, need to know anything about some of the characters I could help you with that so I had no man. idea that I mean apparently he is a, a knowledgeable Shazam fan apparently. He's the man. <laughs> the <laughs> Shazam. So, uh, hearty thank you to PJ for sending that to us. I haven't even had a chance to sit down and read it. I literally just thumbed through it to just see uh, what it's going on, you know, just what it's about and stuff. And um, the art actually is pretty cool on that, too. I'm not sure who the, the artist is, but um, I think it might say on the first page, right? Where, where is it? I don't know. I might, I might want to look on the inside cover there. I don't know. Good. So anyway. Yes. Thank you very much for sending that. It is always appreciated when we receive things from our supporters. It just, it just once again, it just puts that much more wind in our sails to, to make the best possible product we can for you guys. So... Anything you like to add to that, Steve? Well, yes, Russ. Uh, except that I failed. Uh, so <laughs> I had we had another supporter. Oh, send us some some goodies. It was like a, a loot box of sorts. And I got home, and it was sitting on the front porch. Okay, well, I will. Did I someone know. steal it? I don't have a front porch actually. Well, no, it was it was there. And so I got home, and I thought, should I open this now, or should I open it in front of Russ? Oh, well, I opened it then. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> but so it's like chock full of a bunch of stuff. Um, and this is from a fan of the show as well? Yeah. Whoa. But then I thought, okay, I got to prepare for the show. Okay, then I'll, uh, okay, remind self to eat something. <laughs> remind self. Naturally, so, your yeah. stomach <laughs> took priority over yeah. everything else. What was I going to do again? <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> Burrito. <laughs> <laughs> with Tabasco uh, sauce and beer. No. Uh, so <laughs> anyhow, so then I looked at the time and it was, uh, it was, <laughs> well, about time to jump in the car and put the pedal to the, uh, the proverbial metal to the floor cloth. Yeah. Oh, yes. And make a little tripping sound. <laughs> I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> so I got I had to get here, of course, so you don't chastise me for being three minutes late. That's right. I'm a uh, punctual man. So Actually, anyhow, I forgot it. <laughs> That's okay. Can house. you describe what was in it? No, Russ. Oh, you, are you? I am holding waiting? off. Wow. Holding off. Wait till next week. Let's see how it is. Well, that's cool. I, I look forward to. Hopefully, you won't forget it again. I'm gonna leave it. I'll set a reminder for myself to leave it in the that's car. That's a good idea. Actually, you know what? You should set an alert in your phone. There you go. Yeah. Oh, you know who you sound like? No, I have no idea. You sound like dad. That's what you sound like. Right? I sound like dad. Yeah. Am I breathing like that? No, but he, he would say 
put a reminder in your phone. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. I was thinking, my goodness, I didn't realize I was breathing that heavy. <laughs> I just had to do that so you know I was. Here, yeah. Go, go ahead. Please finish, was, the, was, no, finish the I'm impression. Good. I'm good. Oh, oh, oh. I just Always let you know. I, I, was, I was giving you the full. I appreciate yeah. that. It's always, I always, I always like the impressions of dear old dad from you. Gotta give you the full channeling of uh, beloved father. Well, now, Steve. What? We have yet another item. Oh, man. And this one is from our good old friend Brad, who also sent us a... Um, a poster too. <laughs> what did he send us? I don't know. Uh, did he, hold on. No, no, no. He didn't send it yet. Never mind. Onward. No, he had, he, he, he's going through a bit of a, kind of a, a nerd purge, kind of a geek purge of mm. sorts through his house. Mm. And so, um, of course he has amassed a lot of different types of swag and stuff. And, uh, so he thought it'd be really cool to be able to send some stuff our way to be able to possibly give away to fans of the show. Ah! So I have not opened it yet. Maybe next week that's what we could do. We could open up both of them and take a little look-see, but he has included all kinds of different movie posters and gamer-oriented mm. posters. Um, I, should, I guess I should probably say gaming posters, not gamer. That'd be kind of, that'd be kind of creepy. Like, yeah, this is, uh, this is Ninja uh, <laughs> and his skivvies, and uh, <laughs> this is Billy. Uh, yeah, he's... This Probably is, haven't heard of him, but you know. This is before you came after me with the taser. Yeah, he's uh, my next door neighbor playing, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> playing Fortnite. As you can see, he's very comfortable in his boxers. <laughs> no, but anyway, he has gone to all kinds of different conventions, whether it's SDCC or mm. it's WonderCon. Nah. There's all kinds of, nice. of different things he's done over the years. And so I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what's out there and then po possibly be able to have several opportunities yes on social media to be able to give it away well i think that was what our other listener had in mind as well because there's chock full of stuff it's like it's like a loot box that's if, great if the loot box was cardboard yeah. but it, you know this reminds me of something Russ. when you used to work back in software etc ah yes mm -hmm. i remember For, those days fondly for three weeks. Um, I don't know how long you worked there, actually. but um, <laughs> <laughs> I you, worked there during the Christmas season. Okay, yeah. Okay, so it was seasonal. So, mm -hmm. you brought me home the cardboard life-size cutout of Cloud Strife Final Fantasy VII that I kept in my room for years. I did. Didn't the sword break? Uh, I, feel no, like, I feel like a piece like snapped off or something. It didn't break. I think what had happened is I tripped and I <laughs> fell. And I... Um, you like crashed right into Cloud. <laughs> Thank you, Cloud, for saving me. <laughs> if you went better, I don't want that to happen. <laughs> so I, th so I, I think I pushed him and then the sword uh, bent up against like the sliding window mm. that we had. And so then he had a kind of a crooked like flappy sword. That was a pretty big cutout, too, if I remember correctly. Yes, it was. It was like four feet, five feet? About five feet. Yeah, that was a pretty good size. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. You probably don't have it anymore. Now, Cloud Strife saw the inner walls of the recycling bin at some point. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Uh, so another thing I did is I, I went by, uh, Barnes and Noble. Well, first of all, before that, well, you know what? Let me back up even further. <laughs> so Jeez. before we get away from our good old friend, Brad, he actually also sent me in a separate package, a happy 40th birthday present. Well, that's nice, right? Which is really cool because I was not expecting that. And, uh, he, um, had contacted me thinking that I already received it, which I had not. And so he's like, Oh, well, when it arrives, just act surprised. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. But anyway, he had attended WonderCon um, just a few weeks ago. And uh, he met Ryan. Um, I always get his last name all messed up, but it's like... Seacrest. <laughs> right, Seacrest. <laughs> it's like minor ding or something like that. But anyway, he is the head. He's the Marvel head of visual development for all the movies. Wow. He's the one who like comes up with all of the different concept designs for the, the costumes and stuff so, like really, really talented artists. I actually have uh, one of his works that he had autographed and also had um, done a, a quick gesture sketch um, in the corner of the original Iron Man. Not the one, not, not the Mark three, but the one that Tony Stark built while he was in the Middle East, mm. that real crude looking one right. that allowed him to escape. So anyway, um, he ended up going there and um, getting me a Captain America print. That was really cool. He, uh, it's more of a dynamic pose of him charging forward. It, you can tell it was from um, Captain America, the first Avenger. So he has all of his little 1940s buddies that are also in the composition. I'll have to show it to you after the program, Steve. But, you know, it's once again, it's just, man, I, I, feel, I have lots of appreciation for all of this thoughtfulness, you know? It almost makes you feel like it's December instead of April. I know. I just, it's very, very different. But anyway, uh, of course, I have thanked him profusely, and I will thank him again on the show. Thank you, Bradley. Now, I went to go get the latest Art Germ comic books of Catwoman, which I was very, very excited for, and I decided to make a little pit stop at Barnes and Noble. Barnes and Noble still around? It is. Uh, what was the other? Um, Borders. Borders closed down, but Barnes and Noble is actually really healthy. They're they're around, and I don't think they've really closed a, a whole lot of any stores. I always like Borders. Honestly, I like Borders better than Barnes and Noble. I know Barnes and Noble. I had a, I, I bought a Nook. It was a nice little reader. The thing crapped out on me within five months. <laughs> so I said, hey, you know, I, what kind of warrant do you guys got on this thing? Because I like that, you know, it's really softened my eyes when I read and everything. You know, I, actually, I really do like it. Um, but uh, this thing is a piece of junk. It's great. You know, and they, they wouldn't honor any kind of warranty at all. No manufacturer's warranty. And they're like, well, you can pay for a new one. Like, really? Thank you. Do, uh, the, do they still offer that? But the, the Nook? Yeah. No, the Nooks are done. They're, okay. They, they discontinued it. Yeah. Okay. I kind of I forgot about that. I know. Kind of burned me on Barnes & Noble a little bit. At the time when that came out, you had certain companies. I mean, even Amazon was trying to get their version of the iPad, you know, because the iPad was right. like the big one. And so you had different companies who were trying to show off their versions of it. And, you know, I must say, I was surprised at the amount of receptivity, if that's a word. Uh, that that the general masses gave toward these other companies. And I think Amazon has had some pretty decent success with theirs. And I can't remember what the heck it's called. What is their, their fire. tablet? Their fire. All right. The, fire? the, the Kindle? Kindle, Kindle Fire? Kindle Fire. Yeah. That, thank you. <laughs> 
Um, but anyway, I was really surprised by that. And of course, they just were not made as well as the, uh, the iPad. And so I think people started to wise up on that, but anyway, I was in Barnes and Noble and I found a couple of books I was looking for. The first one here, which I haven't started to look at, um, in earnest is called women in gaming. I saw this on, I believe it was Twitter. I think I follow the author of this book and she, um, was very excited to, um, just announced that, that it had been published and everything else. And so I was like, Oh, okay, cool. I had gone in there and I found it. And what's really, really cool about this is that it chronicles ladies who have worked in the gaming industry back since the Atari 2600. Oh, cool. So like you have, um, ladies who like are, are based in, in user experience. You have 3d artists, you have, uh, marketing professionals, you have directors, you have, you have people who have made, um, a lot of contributions over the, I don't know, what is it, how many years? Was it 50 years now? 70s, mm. 80s, 90s, 2000s? I'd say about 40 years. Let's say, let's go with 40. The, um, the 40 or, or 45 years that gaming has been in existence. So I'm definitely looking forward to going through all of this and uh, getting more of uh, an understanding of just who all has uh, made certain types of uh, moves in the industry. So that was really cool. Mm. And then the other one, is the art of Anthem. Now I have <laughs> flipped through this. Yeah, I knew, I figured you were, you were going to chuckle at this. What is crazy here? Go ahead and take a look at it. Oh, thanks. Rob. Mm-hmm. I was curious to see, cause obviously they had cellophane wrapped around it and I wasn't quite sure. <laughs> like look around. <laughs> rip this open a little bit. Over here. <laughs> they're, they're, they're not going to admit, they're not going to mind. It's going to peek through the pages real quick. Oh. I'll put the cellophane back on, heat it up a little. <laughs> so what was what I was curious about was okay, we were talking about actually I think it was last week's episode. We were talking quite a bit about the article from um, Jason Schreer, yeah. yeah, who works for Kotaku, and uh, he had quite the detailed article on just what went wrong with Anthem. And so part of it was that we had discovered that they had been working on the title for like five years. I think it was like a total of six years altogether, if I'm not mistaken. But the first five years was just, it was dedicated to R and D. And so I, I was curious after just reading through this article about like how they had some pretty substantial differences in the <laughs> early stages of like how yeah. they wanted the game to be versus what the end result ended up being. And so I went and got the the book. I haven't looked through all of it. I've only looked through maybe like the first like one third of it. But I mean, if you look through that, there is gorgeous concept designs in there. Things that never made it into the game. And even though I haven't finished the book, just looking through that, I just, it makes me wish that they had gone more of their original direction because right. there's like some captivating ideas in there. There are things that remind me kind of of the movie Interstellar a little bit. And I don't know, there, there's just a lot more thoughtfulness to a lot of the things that honestly, I just, I'm baffled as to why they didn't carry well, it into the final game. Well, it just goes to show that if you leave the creativity up to the developers and let the developers like make the game that they know was going to be cool. Right. Then it's going to look a lot more like this and, and, and be like this versus people who go, well, well we can make a few more bucks if we, uh, you know, charge an extra 99 cents. Yeah. What about that? What's going to suffer? I don't know. 
but I like making an extra buck. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, and that's kind of how it feels. Where if you if you if you took away some of like the 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 big decision makers of Bioware, sort of, and mostly EA, and you said, okay, developers, we're giving you seven years. Make the best game you can make in seven years. Here's 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 the budget. But we give we give you a lot of time. We want a game of the year title. Do yeah. do your best. I mean, man, like the, the game could have been incredible. Yeah. Yeah, I I actually um, would definitely encourage those of you out there who are wondering about like how the game looked in its early stages. At the very least, like if you can <laughs> if you can find um, a copy of this book that does not have cellophane wrapped around it, definitely take a look at it. I would go so far as to say buy it because I really don't think that you would be disappointed. I think that if you were to go through and see just the amount of material and content that they have. Um, just kind of crammed into this book. I think that, that it will definitely you, first of all, you'll enjoy it. But secondly, it's going to cause you also to just reflect a bit more on just the, the status of Anthem itself. And I mean, again, just, just, it, it just really goes to show what happens. Like if you have upper management that are unilaterally making decisions that are negatively impacting how the process of the game is going um, it, I don't know. There's, there's just a lot of food for thought there. So well, what, what do you think based on the, the, the stuff that you're looking at there, Steve? It looks, it looks awesome. It looks like everything we wanted the game to be and a little bit more. I mean, there's, there's different worlds. There's not just, you know, foliage and whatever, whatnot. There's deserts, there's, there's ice, there's, uh, you know, other planets, there's some space exploration, there's, uh, some, um, aircraft, uh, extra cities, like I mean, that, that was also mentioned in the article, but um, way more detail in uh, like the citizens of Tarsus. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, name something, yeah. I mean, name something that you would like to see in the game, and then they already thought of it and they have it in here, yeah. It's just bizarre that like you just don't see that in the final result. It'd be interesting if this game was an RPG. And then, yeah. you, and then you had to start out with some sort of javelin that was what looked like something in the beginning here. And then you had to work up to what you had actually in the game. But the game was more like 60 hours long or like 120 hours long. But there was so much crammed into it that, uh, I mean, that would have been cool. Or maybe like what if you just had a, a broad range of different types of javelins that just had very distinct abilities. Like, I mean, I think that that as a starting point for Anthem as, as it is today, the four classes are very distinct. We've talked about this time and time again, about how if you're a Colossus versus a storm versus an interceptor versus a ranger, all four of them have their own kind of feel and vibe and the way that they carry themselves, the, the weapons payloads and stuff. I mean, it just, it feels um, like, like you're playing something different every time. I would like to see that go beyond just the four archetypes. I want to see just all the things that we're seeing in here. And maybe some of the javelins aren't necessarily for fighting. I think that's one of the problems actually in Anthem. It's like this, it's both a strength and a weakness. On the one hand, the combat mechanics in the game are some of the most fun I've had in a while. However, at the same time, it's it also makes the game feel kind of shallow because you're not really exploring the world the way you could be. We're like, you know, like they talked about when they were 
early on in development, they were tossing around the idea of you having to go out and find supplies and find raw materials and items and things. And it was basically, it was kind of like man versus the environment kind of thing with the idea that it was a harsh alien environment. You had to really be on your toes again, like interstellar. Like when they went to those different planets, you really got a sense of danger at times simply because you weren't on earth. You didn't know what was around um, any kind of nook or cranny and the, the geography itself could turn against you. You just, you had no idea. So, I mean, I could see that, especially if they were to push that farther into perhaps having kind of a, um, a game engine that would support procedural environments. So that every time you would leave Fort Tarsus, you would have a completely new play experience with the environment because it would just be, it'd be random every single time you leave, you know? And, and as a result, that would also make your play experience fresh. You'd never get tired. It would never become predictable of, Oh yeah, I've been down this mountain range. Umpty ump times. Here we go. That's the storm. <laughs> there we go. Steve likes that drawing. Anyway, anyway, um, Moving right along, I um, this week I was playing, of course, more Dead or Alive 6. I'm a huge Dead or Alive fan. I've been really, really happy with it. And I've been like slowly but surely unlocking various skins and outfits and stuff. They have this new thing that's like a, um, a player point system. And it's a bit different from um, previous Dead or Alive titles. Like in, in the past, like if you would play through, say, the arcade mode and beat it, it would automatically unlock a, a new costume for that particular character. In this one, however, you have to earn player points as a form of in-game currency. And once you have enough, you're able to actually purchase, excuse me, certain wardrobes or, or excuse me, certain um, outfits in the wardrobe section of Dead or Alive. And let me tell you, the prices differ. At first, they were pretty affordable, and I was like, all right, I'm making a lot of player points. I, you know, I got all these coins. It's not going to be a problem. And then all of a sudden, like <laughs> certain ones that were um, available suddenly to purchase, it went from being like 500 player points to like 20,000. And I was like, whoa, okay. So anyway, having fun with that. Also um, playing more Sekiro. Did you beat that one yet? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even at the first boss yet. That game is stupid hard. It's so hard. I like I'm again, I'm not, I'm not giving up Steve. That's right up your alley, right? I'm here to tell you, I, I I'm, I'm giving that game a lot of tenacity. I, I just, I've, I'm going to, I'm not going to throw in the towel. <laughs> Maybe the uh, dish rag, but not the towel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, and you will be happy to know that I watched John Wick Chapter 2, which was the Blu-ray that you gave me. I don't know if you gave me that just because or if that was a Christmas present. What was that? Well, it was a gift either way, Russ. Yes. I know it was a gift, but I couldn't remember if you got it for me for Christmas or if it was just like a, hey, I was thinking about you and uh, a happy gift day. Well, <laughs> it was kind of both because I think I I, uh, I saw it on, on Black Friday and I thought, uh... I'm going to give it to him for Christmas, but I don't know if he has it, and I don't want to make another trip back and wait in line for three hours to return it, so I figured I'll just call you and, and ask. So the surprise is gone. So, yeah, it was kind of like I was thinking of you at the time, but since it was kind of Christmas time, more than the same. Gotcha. Well, I'm here to tell you, I love it just as much as the first time I walked into the theater and saw it, Steve. 
And it got me wondering too. I can't remember what the release date is of John Wick Chapter Three. Well, it's got to be coming up soon, right? It's got to be coming up pretty soon, Russ. May was is it a, coming up May? There was only a search engine that was easy to remember. You said this last episode too. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, I'm primed and ready to see John Wick Chapter 3 after watching this again. The the whole series is just phenomenal. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Hold on. And actually, oh, wait. Are you, are you going to ask? When is John Wick 3 released? I don't really know. Thank you, Siri. Freaking useless. <laughs> <laughs> well, go ahead and do a search on that. Um, while you're doing that... I was watching the behind the scenes, which, by the way, a lot of the special features are really fun to watch. The director, get this, Steve. Oh. little trivia for you. The director of the John Wick series actually met Keanu Reeves on a previous movie as his stunt double. Huh. And they totally, like, forged a bond and a friendship and everything else. And I think, I want to say they work together on The Matrix. So they, I think that that's that may be where he did some of the the stunts, you know, work for. Uh, but they met the Wachowski brothers at the same time. Everything else, and ever since then, um, the this director, he his career started out as a stunt person, and then suddenly he got kind of an interest into kind of doing more behind the camera stuff and directing everything. And he literally he's using his prowess as um, a stunt guy for John Wick, mm. which is why the action scenes are so awesome in John Wick. It's because you have this guy who like, that's like his, like, I don't even know what to say. Like, like that's, that's his bag, baby. That's exactly it. And it just makes so much sense, especially considering when you combine that. Yeah. Oh, John Wick chapter three, May 17th. I, I figured it was, it's gotta be coming up soon. But anyway, just like having this nice recipe of having the director, know how to do action sequences and stunts and stuff. Combine that with the fact that he's tight with Keanu Reeves. So they're able to be on the same level with just talking about things, critiquing each other on like how a shot should be and that sort of thing. And then apparently he also had a hand in what's called, I think it's like 87 11. I think is what they call themselves, but it's essentially it's think of it almost like a, it's almost like a, a professional martial arts dojo of sorts where like you have a bunch of people who I guess they know martial arts. They do a lot of UFC style fighting stuff, but it's for movies so that their speciality is composing these different types of fights that you see in all these different action movies. And so they're able to leverage that and bring those guys as like, like the villains and stuff that Keanu Reeves battles and John Wick. Super cool. <laughs> here's an arm bar. Here's ground and pound. Wait, 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 wait. We kind of get away from this video. I got to be a little more, more stealthy. <laughs> <laughs> Moving right along to the big news that dropped today, which of course is the Star Wars teaser trailer. And the, I suppose the, the official title is Star Wars, the rise of Skywalker, I believe is, is what, what they call it. So I have watched this several <laughs> times today. Star Wars Endgame. I mean, I, oh, <laughs> <laughs> how many times have you watched it already? No, just once, Russ. Just once. Well, yeah, let's take a little look-see here. 
and uh, just just what Russ? Let's just absorb it. You know, let's just sponge it up. Let's just let's just check it out. Hmm. I swear she's out of breath. Yeah, she's she's she was running a long yeah. distance in the desert. We've passed on all we know. A thousand generations live in you now. But this is your fight. different feelings about this trailer, Steve. I'm going to go firsty first. This particular trilogy has had a bit of a turbulent journey, which is no surprise to anybody. The Star Wars Force Awakens film, I thought was pretty good in terms of just like the new characters that they introduced, the pacing of it, seeing a lot of the older characters return um, was just this huge nostalgic treat. And then we get to The Last Jedi where we get to see more of the characters um, such as Luke Skywalker that everybody was super excited about. However, there were a lot of bad decisions that a lot of people, um, us included, thought that the director, um, who was Ryan Johnson, made for this particular film. And so I, I mean, we both were talking about just how there were some really good ideas, but ultimately it wasn't enough to, in our opinion, to save that particular film just because there were so many different bad plot points or character developments or there's all kinds of things, which we won't get into at this point in time. So now we see for the first time, the teaser trailer for the, the third installment to this particular trilogy of seven, eight, nine, and J.J. Abrams is back in the director's chair. What I find to be 
First and foremost, the most stirring of this whole thing is how well edited and produced that trailer was. And I think that that's something that has happened time and time again, not only with the Star Wars trailers, for not for, for this one and as well as ones before, but there's been this movement going on lately that honestly, I think it'd be fun for us to do a future Joygasm podcast episode, just having it as a topic, uh, topic of the day. And that is that these, these movie trailer experts have really stepped up their game and create these trailers. Now, I'm not saying every single trailer that's out there, because clearly there are some, some duds that are out there. But more and more that we are seeing, especially for these tentpole-style films, it's almost like the Oscars need to think about having some kind of category for best trailer of the year or something because there is so much marketing and forethought that is placed in these particular trailers that it's almost like like sometimes, and we've talked about this on the show, where like we'll watch a trailer and we are sold. Like we we want to go see that film. We are pumped. We are just like take our money, please. We can't wait to see it. And then we get to the film and the film ends up not being as compelling or memorable or downright cool as the trailer was. And luckily that doesn't happen too often. It just, it happens here and there and that sort of thing. And so when it comes to this, it's like, I see the trailer. I love the pacing of the trailer. I love everything about the trailer. I think that um, the the way that, that the, the different um, scenes were shot and stuff were just gorgeous. I mean, so much eye candy. But of course, that's something that we have come to expect from any Star Wars movie is that you have Industrial Light and Magic who's really at the helm of this and they put all their TLC into it and stuff and you're just, it's just a visual spectacle the whole time. But I've been, I feel like I've been marred from The Last Jedi. And so it's like, I'm, I'm conflicted, and I know that you you know this, Steve. I just feel conflicted because, on the one hand, I'm a huge Star Wars fan, but I feel as though these films have not lived up to the original trilogy. And I don't think any of them ever will. There has been some um, some winners that have come out, but I'm not even sure if the phrase "cautiously optimistic." still applies this or not. It's like if the movie is able to exude that level of emotionality from me for like two hours or three hours, or whatever, it's like, wow, what a redemption from the last Jedi. What are your thoughts to you? But if you remember Russ, you said something similar, not about all the trailers, of course, but with the last Jedi trailer, you're like, dude, dude, yeah. that looks awesome. And I was like, I mean, and they they make it really intense. Even with like with the the first of these l- later Star Wars, what was what was the first one? I don't even remember. The first Star Wars, not the first Star, the first of the later ones, Russ. The prequels, yeah. Episodes one, two, and three. The later ones, not the ones before seven, eight, and nine. Seven, eight, and nine. So you, the first one was the Force Awakens. The Force Awakens. Okay. And then the one you were just talking about was the Last Jedi. The Last Jedi. The Force, so the the preview to the Force Awakens was awesome, and I didn't really care for. The, I haven't really actually cared for any of the the, the later Star Wars movies, mm-hmm. but that trailer was cool. I watched that probably three dozen times, and then 
I, it, I saw the movie and the rest is history. Uh, same thing happened with The Last Jedi, only it was worse. So this one, uh, I, I'm i going to walk. I'm, we're, we're definitely going to go see it. But yeah. I'm going to go into the theater with my expectations low because I don't want to go in there high. I've done that twice or three times already with... Uh, well, you liked, you liked Rogue One, right? Well, Rogue One was fine. It's I don't know if I would say I really liked it. I watched it once in the theater, once at home, and I think I'm pretty good from there. I, I feel like it. that was a, a success. Yeah, I, I think it was a success because it wasn't as bad as The Force Awakens or uh, The Last Jedi. Uh-huh. Um, so <laughs> I don't know how much of a success that what that means that, or that is, but... Well, like in Rogue One, like I really appreciated how they went back to the old school look of everything. So it had that 1970s kind of look. I really liked how at the very end you had that payoff with Darth Vader. I mean, that was just, that was worth a price of admission right there. There was definitely some good things about the movie, for um, sure. I mean, overall, I mean, like, I, I like the idea of the father-daughter relationship. I liked how her father was the architect of the Death Star. There were a couple of things in there that I think could have been better, of course, but just as, as a, a Star Wars flick overall, I thought it was pretty strong. I don't think it was obviously as good as four, five, and six, but I don't think anything's gonna be able to match that. So anyway, back to this. Back to the rise of Skywalker. So I, yes, I like the way the trailer is done by itself. Yeah. 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 And that's why I'm saying is like, like the, that's my biggest observation up front is just, these trailers, and, and I feel like even the Last Jedi trailer was—I mean, I'm just sitting there like, man, like this—this this is just such a space opera that 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 they're showing before us. And then I go see the film, and I'm like, ah, oh, it's a bummer that it's like there are so many issues with the film that I have, and it it, it definitely marginalizes what I first initially saw with the the trailer. I didn't care for Senator Palpatine's laugh at the end. I, th- I mean, yes, I like it, but I think it's too revealing. I like mi- more mystery to the movie, the better. Yeah. They, they should be tickling you without over-tickling you, you know? If you're tickled like a Gucci goo, it's like, okay, that was fun. If they tickle you like you tickle you, me, when I was a, when I was a little kid, until I'm like tears <laughs> coming out of my eyes and I have the hiccups at the end and then, then it comes annoying, then it, no, Russ. So maybe in like later trailers, that would have been fine. Perhaps, or maybe not at all. I just wait for us to th- have the bombshell flat out and smack us in the face when we watch the movie. That would have been cool. Now we're like, oh, Cinder Palpatine. Oh, the Emperor's in it. But what if he's never in there? What if they do that as intentional misdirection? Because they've done that in the past. Remember with the movie trailer for Rogue One? There was that whole scene where... Uh, the protagonist is up on that tower where she's supposed to be, and that X-wing, like, no, or no, I'm sorry, not X-wing. That's sorry. Thank you. Yeah. Tie fighter like rises up, and all of a sudden, it's, it's that amazing shot of yeah, like that, her facing off against the tie fighter. That never not, happened in the that's movie. That's not foreshadowing for anything. That was just a scene they cut out. Right, but my point is, is that they have in the past, it like intentionally showed scenes or led you believe that something's going to happen when in fact. It doesn't happen at all. <laughs> Bait and switch, got you. Yeah, exactly. So I know and now when it applies to what you're talking about with the cackle at the end, I don't know. Like for me, like I I really do like the idea because you know, you, you hear Mark Hamill, he's he's um 
doing just kind of his burly voice. Yeah, he's doing the voice. VO during the the entire trailer. But he's also talking about how no one truly ever really dies, how everyone's always with you, that sort of thing. And what's interesting to me is that up until this point, we have always seen kind of the the spirit forms of Jedi Masters, but we've never seen a Sith Lord side. Right. And it makes, you know, when you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Why couldn't they also have their version of that? And so that really, I don't know, that, that again, just the, the, in, the inner 10-year-old really appreciated that. And I'm not even sure, like I said, if are they going to follow through with that in the film or are they just doing that as a means for uh, people like us to sit there and analyze it and talk about it and obsess over it. Plus, I think that could have been scripted better. None of us ever really dies. I don't know. I think it just sounds kind of plain, kind of basic. I think it could be written more poetic. Maybe perhaps. they will call you, Steve, mm. and have you write for them. That sounds like a great idea. Mm. I might be able to come up with something else if I had Disney's budget. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, do you, oh, now you need Disney's budget to write something good, huh, Steve? Oh, oh, oh to that level? Oh, 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 yeah, oh, oh, absolutely. Oh, oh, oh. Here's where the bar is set. Let's not lower it. <laughs> Let's keep the bar high. I'm going to hire about uh, five writers, and I'm just going to sit back and take a nap. <laughs> and five writers independent could write something better than that, most likely. Thank you. That's how I fix it. <laughs> <laughs> so, in terms of the movie itself, um, how do you feel about the whole thing? I mean, are, are you, do you feel cautiously optimistic? Are you not looking forward to it? Are you going to be neutral about it? Like, you, you've already mentioned how you're going to come in with lowered expectations, which honestly, I think a lot of people are going to do. I think that a lot of people are going to be coming in with just not expecting as much. What are your, uh, what, where, where, where's your mind? Your head. <laughs> Cautiously neutral. Your chrome dome. <laughs> Impress me. I'm at a one star with the last film. So do better. Mm-hmm. I'm, I mean, at this point, the trailer, yes, the trailer's put together well, but it doesn't mean anything to me versus the movie. What did you think of seeing Lando Calrissian? That he was the best part of the entire thing. Agreed. <gasps> Agreed. Yeah. No, Absolutely. I saw Lando and I got goosebumps down my neck. So this is another item that I wanted to discuss with you, and that is that- What's that, Russ? Seven, eight, and nine- Sucked. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> no, they didn't suck. <laughs> the Last Jedi was not very good. But when I look at j- just the characters that yes, are in the Russ. film, yes, they've intentionally brought back certain characters from the original trilogy, and, and they off. have, right. and they have, <laughs> and they have introduced <laughs> um, new characters. I am trying to mm. filter through just the idea of do the new characters carry as much longstanding charisma. <laughs> That's funny. What? That's funny, right? Longstanding. We're on the third film. They could have, if they're going to have longstanding charisma, they should have done it in the first film. I'm asking, I'm posing a Man. question. I didn't, I'm not saying that's what they have. I'm, I'm asking a question. Do the new characters that they've introduced, do they have some sort of, long-standing or, or um, staying power, memorable staying power that the original cast 
was able to create with and culture all my heart no <laughs> that you're, you're just you're just going to make that that call right now i am making that call right now <clears throat> so i agree in the sense that i think that when it comes to these films i've had the same type of reaction so like whether it's harrison ford or mark hamill or Carrie Fisher, even Peter Mayhew, because Peter Mayhew has a very distinct way that he performs Chewbacca. There is something that is absolutely grounded in the mythos of Star Wars with these actors. And I think that that has been a very wise decision that Disney has made in terms of being able to bring these, these folks back. Cause I do not think it would, they, these movies would have been um, anywhere near as, you know, to the point of the, of setting the bar as they are now. However, in terms of the newer characters, like, you know, I think that, that Ray is a cool character. I think that there needs to be better approaches to developing her character. But I think that Daisy Ridley as an actress, I think she does a fine job. I think she's good. I just think, you know, She's working off of what has been given to her. Well, yeah, I mean that's that's yeah. There, she's walking a very fine line. I have nothing against her. Yeah, I, what I, my beef is against is is the is the writing the of the character itself. I I care nothing about Ray. Actress is absolutely fine. I mean, I have nothing against her yeah. whatsoever. My my beef is all with the character of Ray. Yeah. And I, what I hope they don't do is towards the end of the movie, they, they scatter and, oh yeah, this actually was like Ben Kenobi's daughter or this actually was, you know, so-and-so's daughter. <laughs> Aren't we cool now? And you're like, no, no, you're not cool. That's not going to be cool. <laughs> there has been some uh, threads pop up on Reddit where people are hypothesizing that perhaps like she's like the daughter of Anakin or who knows? Like, like there's all kinds of, of different um theories out there and that sort of thing. But yeah, like I, I, w- I was looking forward to talking to you about that a little bit just because that is a very real thing. Like watching this trailer and seeing Billy D. Williams back as Lando again. I mean, it just, it really just coursed through my soul. It's just like, Oh my gosh, there he is. Like he's back in the Millennium Falcon. He's, he's sitting right next to Chewie. Like you, you, they better you just, not kill him. <laughs> better not kill him. They've killed everyone else pretty much. Well, in Carrie Fisher's character, actually, if I remember correctly from The Last Jedi, she didn't die. She survived, but Carrie Fisher herself passed away. I forgot about that movie, Russ. What are we talking about again? <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> I believe that Princess Leia did survive. I mean, really. Yeah, she got sucked out in the space and uh, Leia survived. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, she Mary Poppins herself back into <laughs> exactly. uh, the ship. Yeah, that was in the last Jedi. Um, Luke, and, however, and then broke out in a song and dance. Luke died. <laughs> Are you done being condescending uh, over there? Yeah, condescending is my middle name. Yeah, well, it's time we make that middle name silent. <laughs> anyway, did you have any other? thoughts about the trailer itself. Oh, the, one of the things that comes to mind for me is the music. <laughs> what did you think of the music? Yeah, it was great, Russ. Did you notice how like they actually made some changes to just the what the typical Star Wars theme it sounds like? Yes, Russ. Are you sure? Are you just saying that? I am not just saying that. I heard, yeah, okay, they made some, and it's not the Star Wars music. I get it. Uh-huh. It's fine for the trailer. 
Uh-huh. The, the last trailer they had, also with The Last Jedi, was the same thing. They, they modified the music, da-da-da-da, got it. And it sounds great. It sounds good. I like it. But, again, you have to look at the movie <laughs> as an entire package. You can't just say the trailer music was awesome, therefore the music, the movie's going to be awesome. <clears throat> Steve, I haven't seen this movie yet. So, therefore, the trailer itself is the only thing that we have to go on at this point in time. So, you're we are tra- analyzing you're, the trailer. You're trying to pump me up, bros. I know you're trying to pump me up. You're trying to pump me up for the film. I get it. I'm not trying to pump you up for the film. I'm simply geeking out over the trailer because the trailer is so well done. And I want to see if you have the same type of response I do. Like, don't don't think about the movie itself. Put that portion on the shelf temporarily and, and just, if you were to look at the trailer by itself, were you impressed? Were you entertained? Are you entertained? Yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, Maximus. Uh, well, actually, didn't he say, "Are you not? Are entertained? you not entertained? Are you not entertained?" Yeah, yeah. Maximus, Maximus. We need to watch that again. Great movie. Yeah, that was a good trailer, Russ. That was a good trailer. There you go. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So uh, the trailer is fine. Like I said, the music, great. Visuals, great. Sound effects, great. Script, not so much. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm I'm giving you I'm giving you answers of what you're looking for. What else do you want me to say? Do you think the force was strong with that trailer, Steve? No, it was not. You, what? It was not strong with the trailer, Russ. I'm not talking about the movie, Steve. I'm talking about the trailer. I that's and what you, I just you, said. And you don't you don't think it was, you don't think the force was strong with that trailer? No. Wow. The force is strong with Lando. Then I'll stop there. <laughs> what about Chewie? <laughs> Actually, I didn't even see a Chewie in there. I just focused he, on Lando. He, he was sitting with them in the Millennium Falcon. Uh, yeah, I figured. He I, by the way, Falcon. speaking of the Millennium Falcon, it was a thing of beauty. A thing of beauty to see that thing just careening through light speed. It was like a prolonged shot, too. It was just, ugh. They better get the sound effects right, Russ. And yeah, solo, I, they messed it up. I remember, yeah, you you were pretty keen on that. Hopefully they will, Steve. It's not that hard to go, huh, we're on the right to that too? Pluck that sound. I don't even care if it's the sound, the original sound effect from back and they not like not even cleaned up. Just throw that back <laughs> in there. I don't care. Just make it sound good. It's yeah. a Millennium freaking Falcon. Mm-hmm. Were you happy to see BB-8? Nah, not really. Not really. Nah. No. Did you notice that um, Princess Leia was back in that trailer? I did. What'd you think of that? Thought, hmm, how much CG they're going to use in this film, and are they, is it going to be as good as Captain Marvel? If I remember correctly, I think they're not going to do CG. Mm. I think that they're going to somehow use a bunch <laughs> of they, shots. Yeah, I'm not going to guess. Actually, that was a bad joke. <laughs> they're going to use a bunch of shots um, from I think it was when they were doing all the shooting, the principal photography for the Last Jedi, and somehow be able to make it work for this film. Which I think is a good idea. Like, I wouldn't want her to be CG just because since Carrie Fisher passed. Like, I think that that would be a kind of a disservice to her uh, contributions to the world of Star Wars. So if they're able to get it right, if they're able to pull off and not make it seem weird or whatever, um, I think that'd be nice. Assault rifle and pistol whip a grunt. It's time for the topic of the day. 
topic of the day is Halo Memoirs, the past, present, and future of Halo. This actually was started for two reasons. One was that we have podcast episode 117, and I was talking to Steve about how this is just too good to pass up, that it would be um, wrong, downright wrong, sinful even, if we did not actually dedicate our episode 117 to the Spartan 117. The other reason being that Steve got me the Halo Master Chief Collection video game for the Xbox One X. And so we've been having fun kind of romping through that. We were also going through on uh, Twitch and uh, having fun with that earlier this week. So if you caught that, then you would have seen Steve, Big Baby Moose, and myself uh, reliving our glory days in Halo 3. It's probably still up there, too, uh, on Twitch, if anybody wants to see it. That's very true. It's very true. So where I'd like to start off with this whole thing is um, let's rewind the clock back to 2001. And this is when the like no one knew about the Xbox. People knew that Microsoft had been playing around uh, with the the gaming industry here and there, like they they had come came out with like the, I think they called it the Sidewinder, which was their controller for the for a time for the PC. They also had helped out Sega with their Sega Dreamcast. If, if you looked on the the side of <laughs> if you looked on the side of the systems, it says powered by Windows CE. Mm. Now when they had enough to go on, then they they went right into aggressive production of the Xbox system itself. And they needed to have some kind of launch title, and they found it in the form of Halo. I was in college at the time, and I believe you were as well. Kindergarten. (laughs) I was in the room. But I knew about Xbox, by golly. Yeah, exactly. Um, I was the first adopter out of the two of us to get an Xbox. Yes. Let me pause you right there, Ross. Now, let me iterate something. You got the Xbox because I and a friend of ours bought it for you for your birthday. That is absolutely correct. With Halo, and it was going to be given to you. Actually, it was me and our friend and uh, Lindsay Pearson. That's right. Who was going to give it to you. And then we were going to drive over there, but Lindsay was already there, and she stole the fire out from all of us and said, <laughs> here you go, Russ, here's your gift. And I saw you post it on, like, MySpace or something. Uh-huh. I was like, Lindsay. Wait, actually, you know what? I don't think I was on... No, I was not on MySpace at that time. Well, you posted it somewhere. I don't think it was Facebook, because I didn't have Facebook. No, no, I did, definitely was not Facebook. Maybe maybe I did. Maybe I did on MySpace. Or maybe it was Lindsay who posted it. Th- actually, I think it was Lindsay, because she says, having fun with the Xbox. That was the exact saying, and that's uh. why I called her. I'm like, yay, supposed to be a present from all of us. She goes, oh, I gave it to him a little bit early. I'm like, what? (laughs) Thanks. Well, that was a fine gift, my brother, from the same mother. Because that was the catalyst that ultimately drove me to become a huge fan of the ecosystem that is so widely known today as Xbox. But at the time, I didn't know anything about the system. I knew I wanted it because based on the, the magazine articles I was reading about it and everything, it had piqued my interest. And I recall not getting a PS2. 
I was actually um, pretty upset over what had happened to Sega because Sega had released the Dreamcast. It was a fantastic system. Mm. It had a wonderful launch. It actually was the first system to actually have, I think it was like between 10 to 15 titles that were available at launch. No system had done that. And not only that, most of the titles that came out were, were like must-own titles. Yeah. Like they were triple. I mean, it was amazing. Triple A titles. So Sony, um, to its credit, had made the PlayStation, and it was a, that was a fine system too. And what ended up happening was that when Sony released their PS2, they had really built a lot of mind share with uh, the gamers out there, and so folks just kind of ditched Sega and just went right to the PS2 and Sega was already struggling financially and everything else. Anyway, the system ended up um, falling through the cracks prematurely and that didn't sit well with me. And plus I knew that the PS2 um, didn't have uh, as, as um, solid of an architecture. The hardware architecture itself was a little janky. So I ended up not getting that. Instead, I went with Xbox and what was interesting was, as I started playing the game Halo, I began to realize how brilliant of a game this was. How forward-thinking it was, how there were so many different approaches to the gameplay that had never been done before in a game. And I remember being ex excited to be able to take the system home to be able to show you. And I remember uh, very distinctly, we had gone over to another friend's house um, who at the time he also owned a PS2 and I sat you guys down and, and I showed you Halo. Actually, I don't think that's the way it happened, Russ. Oh. That's not the way it happened. How, not, do, you, how do you remember it, Steve? I feel like I need a little like boop, little like cloud <laughs> bubble or like, you know, the, 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 uh, the sound effect of like I'm telling a story. Anyway, my bad. So, you could do the Wayne's World thing. <laughs> We came down to see you for a visit. And you guys said, oh, you gotta check it out. We went out to dinner, we, you, know, uh -huh. you know, we had this whole little thing. It's a nice evening. And then you plopped us down in your room, turned on the TV. And I, that's when the first time I saw the little, like the glowing glob of the, the Microsoft right. Xbox. And then you, we played the game and then you got, had to get used to all the controls. And then uh, the friend that we were with was also, that's what happened. Well, I remember, okay, so I, first of all, let's confirm. Is the friend we're referring to Jason? Yes. Okay, because I specifically remember going to his house <laughs> and he had never seen the Xbox or Halo in person. And so he was playing the PS2 and I remember, I specifically remember he was, and it was at the older house. It was when he was engaged. He hadn't even gotten married yet, but he was at that house that had that kind of loft. His, remember his bed was up on the second story area. And then we had sat on the couch and I hooked the Xbox in and that was the first time he, uh, he tried out Halo. I think you came down to visit me in college. No, no. No? No. He had that place when Halo 2 came out. Halo 1 was out when he was at the older house, like the guest house, because that's where I went plenty of nights to play Halo wait, 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 1. Wait. Which 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 house is the guest house? The house in Mendocino. That's the one that has the bed on the upstairs area that overlooks the family room, right? No. Which one which one am I thinking of? You're thinking of the second house. He lived <clears throat> We're going to totally like <laughs> 
We're going to map out where he lives. He's getting some no strange one. knocks on the door. <laughs> Good thing he doesn't live at any of these places anymore. No. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We're going to triangulate his position. Okay, so he used to live... <laughs> He used to live on the hills in Mendocino at the at this guest house. That's where he started with the Xbox One. Or no, what? The first Xbox. Oh my gosh, <laughs> stupid names these systems nowadays. Okay, so that's where he had the first Xbox because I was there quite often playing with linking up all these Xboxes. I'd bring over my little TV and we'd network and we'd have like 8 to 12 people playing. Plenty of nights. He didn't have... He didn't, you're talking about the house when Halo 2 came out because he invited me over to see it for the first time because I hadn't picked up a copy yet. And he had just moved into that house. That's the house you're thinking of. See, I don't remember it that way. I remember the house I'm thinking of was the very first place where we did the system link, where I would bring my Xbox over, you'd bring your Xbox over, Jason would have his Xbox, and we would do the system link there. That was, uh, that was the second house, but that wasn't with the first okay. Halo. Well, no, because I remember it being the first Halo, because I specifically remember, remember that one uh, map that has, it's that really large sprawling map with a bunch of those like columns in the center, and then you can run along the sides. It was an indoor map. I can't remember what that one is called. My mind is a uh, little, little, little cobwebby in that area, but I do. Oh, really? <laughs> it is. <laughs> Don't worry, you'll turn 42 soon enough. But I think um, when it comes to that, I do have very vivid um, images of, first of all, I remember being in that house, showing him the Xbox. I remember him like sitting down and being like, okay, let's see what this is about. And then the other thing I remember vividly was we would play Halo 1 multiplayer using the system link of Xbox with the original maps that came with it. And then of course, you know, later on when Halo 2 came out and we did that. Like we just have to contact the man. Anyway, moving right along. Now that we've triangulated his position, reveal his identity, <laughs> told him about his family. Look at the family photos. Hey, there's a lot of his phone number. There are a lot of Jasons out there. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, it was really really cool to be able to experience what the game had to offer. Also, that the idea of the system link was a big thing because. Halo was like the one title that that really exercised that feature of the original Xbox. There, I mean, there there were other titles that were they supported the system link thing, but it was Halo. It was that game that caused people to bring their systems over to one person's house, have four Xboxes set up, and then have like, you know, how what is that? Twenty four players? No, sixteen. Sixteen. Thank you. Um, four plus four plus four. No, uh, 36. I did four times four. I was like, <laughs> wait a minute. Let's see. Who is my algebra teacher? <laughs> Just ignore me. Russ, when you're 40, you're not going to remember this. Yeah, I will. Turn 40. And actually, uh, now that I think about it, four times four is not even 24. Yeah, I know. It is. Okay. Moron, this guy. Anyway, um, that was something that was that was really, really big, too, because Halo hit on um, just this idea of coming together and playing with your friends. It really it, it took the basic concept of having, say, like two people playing on a local system 
and it expanded it greatly into this idea of, hey, now you can have kind of a Diet Coke version of bring your own PC. You know, you, you can have this, this networked experience with console gamers instead of PC gamers. And I, I recall there being all kinds of different um, features and videos were, that were showing almost like a documentary where like they, like I, think, I think Bungie or Microsoft went across the country and interviewed these places that just, that was what they did. They forged new friendships. They had all these people coming like who they didn't know, strangers, and they would provide pizza and all this other hospitality oriented stuff. And, and it was one of the early examples of sharing a commonality that resulted in just this long lasting enjoyment. Right. So it was pretty cool. The, um, and, and, and that's just with one thing with, with the system link, but in terms of the game itself, I want to know from you, Steve, yeah. what was your first impression of Halo Combat Evolved? Actually, I thought it was nothing special. Yeah. I thought that with all the hoopla out there that the PlayStation 2, which I had at the time, could do it with the, the game just fine. Like, why didn't Bungie cross-port it and play it on uh, PlayStation? So... It it had it, it had to stew in my mind a little bit. It had to uh, marinate. Marinate, maybe that's the word. Yeah. So after after Jason uh, <laughs> <laughs> picked it up, and I had spent like nights and nights and nights playing, and then uh, another buddy of mine picked it up, and then I picked it up. So I had two systems at my house, and then the PlayStation was basically my twisted metal system, mm. and then like Devil May Cry. Mm -hmm. And then my Xbox was primarily Halo. And that was about, like, Halo was and ended up being the sole purpose of me buying the system. Right. And with my, and then I bought an Xbox 360 for that one reason, and I didn't buy PlayStation 3. And it was the sole reason, well, not the sole reason, but when Master Chief Collection came out, I bought my Xbox One mm -hmm. with that game. Mm -hmm. So, that's why I should say it's kind of a staple. But, uh, yeah, no, so, but in the beginning, I didn't think it was anything special. It really had to grow on me. The more I played it and the more I delved into the characters and the music and the atmosphere mm -hmm. and discovered how much fun, I guess, dying in a game was. You spit on my arm. I'm getting excited. Okay. Actually, that probably went through the microphone grate, and <laughs> that was a pretty good little spittle. Oh, that was, I had some legs to it. <laughs> I'll like see if I can second bath of the day. I'm like, what? <laughs> I'll see if I can replicate that. <laughs> oh, please don't. <laughs> Combat evolved. <Yeah. laughs> Splash damage. <laughs> no pun intended. Yeah, really. So, <laughs> anyhow, so with all the, the the big team battles and the multiplayer and whatever whatnot. We would, we would link up. We would have people yelling at each other through the walls, through other rooms in the house. You would know exactly who you shot because yep. they'd be like, "Oh, I just met that!" You're like, "Yeah, yeah. Oh, it was so much fun." And not an, another game has had that much fun in multiplayer, I would say, than Halo Combat Evolved. Yeah, yeah, it really did open the door for not only the the multiplayer aspect. But also, too, just like I was saying, I'm talking about before, like the, the, the whole vehicle mechanics. No one had ever played a game like that before where you could go from first-person shooter 
to all of a sudden third person get into a vehicle. And it wasn't just one vehicle. They had this whole suite of vehicles, both for the humans and the Covenant. And, and the idea of having these large levels, too, these levels that, that, again, when this title came out back in 2001, you just didn't see how, like, the the expansive environments in a video game like you did in Halo. It was just, like, this constant, just open world. I mean, and you could go back and forth as much as you want. Of course, there were certain areas where, like, you know, once you pass it, it's the typical, like, oh, you can't get back there. But those were pretty... That was slim. Yeah, pretty slim. I mean, you can, you can land in a silent cartographer level, which is the beach level, yeah. and you can just go right to where you're supposed to go. Yeah. Like, if you once you land, you, and you're supposed to go forward and play the level that way, and that's much more fun. But if you wanted to go the other way, then uh, you, you, you can. It, it lets you. And I think the, the approach, too, of the relationships. I think that, of course, having the military, like the Space Marines or whatever, that was a, um, a big support to the game itself as well because I always found myself enjoying having the company of the Space Marines. Like when they would be coming in helping me shoot different folks or like if I got into a Warthog, they'd hop in as well. Having that dynamic in the game, that really pushed it in terms of the enjoyment factor up a notch. And I also think too, the, the whole concept of Cortana, how for the most part, you know, 99% of the time, it's just a voice but she's accompanying you on this adventure and she's commenting on things that are going on from a first time observer standpoint, just as you as a gamer were also kind of drinking in what was going on at that at any given point in time. And, and I, I, again, it's, it's so funny because that has become much more commonplace by today's gaming standards, but back then, you know, 18 years ago, that was a big deal. It was a big deal. I mean, we now we have little AIs in our phones that we want to have more personality. We have movies like Her, for example, that have an AI that's a personality. But this was way back when, when we thought, and this was like a really good AI personality too. I mean, we you could we when Microsoft came out with their own little cell phone and they labeled the the AI assistant Cortana. Yeah. I thought, yes, I can have Cortana in my phone. And it, yeah, it, it's I think it's the same person who voiced Cortana, but it's not the same person. And not the same personality whatsoever, unfortunately. But to have that much personality with the Marines and as well as this AI computer that was basically human, but it was developed so well that it was, you could talk to it like you could another human being and mm. it would respond to you and you could just tell it simple commands like yeah get in the ship and you're like yeah, just do something you know okay well it, it had a lasting impact on the gaming community who played halo everybody loved cortana and you know to piggyback off of what you were talking about with regards to the windows phone microsoft also has directly integrated cortana into the xbox one so you know instead of you know, saying Xbox, whatever. Now you say her name and she comes up and she acts as kind of the, the search engine for you. They also integrated Cortana into um, Windows 10. Right. Again, this is a character from a video game that normally corporations and that sort of thing, they kind of just scoff at. If you were to, br to bring up the idea of, hey, maybe we should actually integrate this into our overall ecosystem of different products. So good on them for doing that, because I, I actually really do enjoy having that voice stick around. How did Halo for you change your outlook on gaming? Well, I mean, it, it did. Well, it, it set 
the staple. It set the standard. I mean, I was not much of a fan of first-person shooters. I didn't play Doom. I didn't play Wolfenschlagen. I didn't play... <laughs> you didn't play I mean, Wolfenstein? No, I never played Wolfenstein. The the first one? Uh, no, no, I didn't play it. I mean, I so I played, I think, on my play. I also played that at Jason's. <laughs> Jason! Uh, so... I think I played like games like Red Faction, I think what it was called, and that was fine. And I played uh, Killzone, which was the first one was awesome. It was it was fine, but it wasn't a Halo. Um, Halo set the bar because I wanted to be in that environment. I didn't want to leave that environment, even if. Here's the thing too: in a game, if you set the difficulty pretty darn high. You're gonna die a lot, which means you have to start over and you have to repeat the same things and level again and again and again and again and again. Mm -hmm. And so you either are going to break your controller or break your TV or I don't know <laughs> something, you know, <laughs> go Cuphead or uh, <laughs> <laughs> break your mother's urn. Yeah, really. Or you're just gonna get past it, but you're gonna still enjoy playing the same level. And that's what Halo did. And all the Marines, for example, if you took a jump in the Warthog and you thought in your mind, yeah! and then they did the same thing, they were right there with you. They were, th they were anticipating what you would think when you did something they expected you to do. Yeah. And then they reacted to it exactly the way you would. And I think that level of thought and commitment to the player and to uh, the future of the game itself, I think it was just rich. And, and everything that it did. I mean, every, I think there was a, the, a Bungie segment that I watched way back when where one of the developers said we had to make every 30 seconds special. And it definitely feels that way. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, there's a... I remember that documentary. Yeah. yeah. I forgot what his name was, but I can see his face. I can't remember his he name. He was one of the game designers and he was talking about how um, in any kind of um, good game, Literally, it's discovering, it's like having this 30 seconds of pure bliss and then figuring out a way to rinse and repeat that 30 seconds over and over and over again, just in different scenarios. Right. Plus, with, with the whole atmosphere, hey, you know, when you're playing a, a first-person shooter, a lot of it is pretty dark. Mm -hmm. uh, it's pretty dark. It feels like, you know, World War II. It, it feel, you know, you, the, the enemy you're fighting is evil. You, you just got to hate the enemy. And rather the enemy in Halo, you actually like the grunts, you like the elites, uh, you know, so you love the enemy, but you're just against different sides. And the environments are plush, they're beautiful, like these Halo rings are swarming with life, which is awesome. You're not in some post-apocalyptic... Apocalyptic? Elictic, yes. <laughs> you want to like a lollipop? Tick? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Tick's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? I'm going to bite you. Anyway... <laughs> I got a tick on my tongue. Covered in slobber. <laughs> if ticks had a voice, that's what they would sound like. I think so. Anyhow. So, I think I'm taking up a little bit too much time. So No, no, no. You're, you're doing fine. Um, so with all those things that you're talking about, like, so how did, how did those aspects change your outlook on gaming as a whole? How should I say this? Um, it sounds like it... it it created a benchmark of expectation moving forward. It, I think I said that in the beginning. But it made other games kind of suck in comparison. Like, why aren't other developers trying this hard to make a, as good of a game? Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm... I'm pretty much at the same point, too, where there, there were just so many new ideas that were being introduced 
that I think that it, it was it was the perfect storm of being introduced to a more mature hardware technology because the Xbox was um, superior in terms of like what the hardware could do performance wise. And then you mix that with a developer like Bungie, which was just this this new developer on the scene. Yeah, here's Bungie. You know who knows? Yeah. yeah. But they had the fire in their bellies. They had the eye of the tiger. They they pushed forward with a lot of these these ideas that just no one had explored before in a game. And I think it just yeah, like I I really do believe they they set the bars in so many different places that. Quite honestly, I mean, I think that there are games that have come out since that time that also do things really, really well. And some things that I would say perhaps that are a bit more refined than what they were able to accomplish with Halo. However, playing through the game, like just going back and playing through like Halo 2, for example, I mean, that's still, obviously the game has aged. There are certain things that, that, you know, it feel a little more crude and that sort of thing. However, the the core game mechanics are still really yeah. fun to play. And the it, which, formula works. It does. The formula totally works, and I think that that just it reaffirms and validates just why Halo stands as a, a crowning achievement in gaming as a whole. And look, and I think you know, of course, we've played every Halo title that has come out, and we'll, we will probably continue to play the the Halo games. Um, so long as 343 does a good job. <laughs> but in terms of, I, I don't know, I think the original trilogy of Halo, I would say Halo 1, 2, 3, even Halo Reach, and and to a certain extent Halo 4, but, but I mean prim- primarily the ones that Bungie touched, Halo 1, 2, and 3, and um, Halo Reach. I think that I, ha- you know, I, of course, I put, I, put, I don't even know how many hours right. I put into that. I don't even, thousands of hours. Like, I know that we've played certain titles where, like, we can look and, like, wow, we put a lot of hours into that. I think that those titles would pale in comparison to the sheer number of hours that we have dedicated to, to Halo. Itself. Right. I think, I think every hour that I've spent on every game I've played, yeah. or even including Final Fantasy VII, would still combined pale in comparison to how much multiplayer yeah. I've played with Halo. And I think that a part of me has just... It's clung on to, to kind of the, the spirit of Halo. And so as I play other games there is kind of a subconscious part of me that is comparing certain things. I don't know if that makes a whole lot of sense, but it does make sense. You're a human. You're going to do that. But I think that like, like there are certain games that we play that leave a lasting impact on us. And we, we take that with us moving forward into like the next generation of gaming. And I think that's a really special thing because those game designers, those artists, those coders, you know, they, they were able to come together and, and produce something that was truly special and that it really can never be 100% replicated again. Unless, like, you know, if you're 343 and you decide to literally replicate what Bungie did and just upgrade the, the graphics on it, then sure, you could do that. Well, 343 did more than that. They up, I mean, with, well, with Halo 2 anyway, they upgraded the graphics, the music, and the sound. Right. Um, so, yeah. What was okay? So, I have an idea. Well, I don't. I don't know the answer to this. 
But I have a question. But I, but I have I I've been able to, to I think um, remove certain things that I don't think will be your answer. What was your favorite Halo weapon? <sighs> favorite Halo weapon. Uh, I would. Hmm. Well, I would have to. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Halo weapon or Halo. Combination of weapons. I'm saying Halo weapon. Yeah, well. And, and, and I'm talking specifically Halo Combat Evolved. The pistol. The pistol. The pistol. More so than the shoddy. More so than the shoddy. More so than the rocket launcher. The rocket launcher was definitely fun and probably the most fun with multiplayer. Mm-hmm. But combined with the multiplayer... And the regular campaign. Mm-hmm. I would have to say the pistol. More than the sniper rifle? Uh, yes! Because you enjoy the sniper rifle quite a bit. I enjoy it. It doesn't It doesn't compare to the pistol. All right. You? Huh? <sighs> it is <sighs> tough. And this actually is... A- I Let me guess. Hold on. Hold on a second. Let me guess. Let me guess. I'm to guess. The needle. Yeah! It's difficult to know because I'm also a really huge fan of the pistol. And we talked about this recently about how typically sidearms in first-person shooters are kind of throwaway weapons. Like, yeah, they're there. You can kind of use them, but you don't feel compelled to use them, right? In Halo, it was the one game where it's like almost like there were times I would like use it as my main weapon just because it was so fun to use. Like the, that, that zoom-in feature itself, no one, to my knowledge, had done with a pistol sidearm before. But yeah, the Needler was one of my favorites for sure. You know what was fun, too, with the Needler? It was kind of like throwing the plasma grenade, the sticky grenade. Mm-hmm. Because, and when you... <laughs> and this is kind of sounds, I don't know, kind of sadistic, but when you would do the Needler <laughs> or you would stick somebody with the grenade, it almost had the same effect, and so you hear this, <laughs> because they were just stuck with it. You're like, yes! Well, and I think that it's a compliment to whoever designed the weapons. Because every weapon had a different quality to it that was completely satisfying. I mean, like if you had the sniper rifle and you pick somebody off from across the room, that was incredibly satisfying. If you had the rocket launcher and you blew someone sky high, that was incredibly satisfying. If you had a plasma grenade and you stuck it to someone and you saw them running around with that thing stuck to like their foot, yeah. I mean, it was, you had such an exuberance. Um, knowing that that worked. <laughs> Even the frag grenade, like you toss a frag grenade and the, they had um, balanced the explosion to the point where it was just a real satisfying explosion. Yeah. Like, I mean, got some throat to it. Yeah. Um, you know, the shotgun, again, it, getting into, right into somebody's face. I mean, doing the old one-two, if you do a shotgun shot and a pistol whip. I mean, yep. like, it was <laughs> super satisfying as well. I gotta say something else too. When we were multiplaying, and then people were in the other rooms, and we had to do a network and cables strung off a place. And you would stick somebody, you'd be like, hey, Johnny! And you'd be like, yeah! Bam! Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, that, that was incredibly satisfying. And again, you just, you simply can't replicate just those memories of getting together. Because I remember what, like, I would have Halo parties where we would have, um, even more than 16 people over, we would have, you know, between 20 to 30 people over and we would just take turns playing the game. But there's something about having a bunch of people just together, hooping and hollering, playing the game that you cannot replicate through online play. Like, I mean, an online play, you have, you obviously you still have fun, but there is something missing when you just don't have those bodies next to you that you, that you could just have those memorable moments. So we were talking about combat evolved. How do you feel that Halo has evolved, Russ? I think that Bungie has done in the past when they were doing Halo 1, 2, 3, um, and Halo Reach. I think that they did a fine job of continuing to push the envelope in terms of what was possible and just, you know, like like you, you said, you used the phrase earlier, impress me. I think that Bungie was very successful in all of their Halo franchise, um, franchise, all their, their Halo titles in the sense that like, for instance, in Halo 1, they had what we just described. In Halo 2 they push the bar again by having dual weapons. The idea that you could pick up two weapons and they didn't have to be the same weapon. They could actually be a, a combination of different variety of, of weapons entirely, some of which could be human, the others could be covenant. It didn't matter. And on top of that, they actually had the thoughtfulness and strategy, like the, just the 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 idea of being methodical about how the game design would be affected by that. I actually remember in E3 when they were showcasing their little bit for Halo 2. Yeah. And then the person playing picked up two different weapons, one human, and the crowd went nuts. It really did. Yeah, the crowd in back in, um, I can't remember, what, what, was it 2003 that came out? I think it might have been... Because I think Halo 3 came out in 2005-ish, 2006, somewhere around there. But anyway, um, you know, another thing that they pushed in Halo 2 was the idea that, that um, you could hijack a vehicle. You know, that was something that you could not do in Halo Combat Evolved. You could get into a vehicle in Halo 1, but you could not hijack it from the Covenant. And again, going back to that same video where they were showing... The, like the demo for the first time, the crowd just lost it because again, no one had done that in a game. You, no game had done anything like that before where you could literally hijack and it wasn't just like one vehicle. Yeah, It was every vehicle in the game. You could even hijack a Banshee. And again, having that level of excitement as you're playing and, and, and successfully hijacking a Banshee while it's in the air and kicking out the elite from it and watching him plunge to his death as you like, you know, fly away and do your thing. Or him doing it to you. Exactly. If uh, the, the shoe was on the other foot, I mean, again, it, it really brought more of a realistic notion to the game. But also, it's all about payoff. They they continue to introduce these payoffs. Another example, too, was the idea that, and I think they started this in Halo Reach, but the idea that you could assassinate people, you could sneak up behind them. Because traditionally speaking in a Halo game, you if you got the drop on somebody and you snuck up behind them, you just pistol whip them and it's just an, pretty much an insta-kill. However, once again, they upped the showmanship of actually, I mean, they had animations that just 
really, I mean, not only did it embarrass the person who <laughs> got who got killed, but also too, I mean, it really just made it that much more exciting to see like wow like here here is, is the payoff for being able to successfully get the drop on somebody that was another big deal other you know of course that they had other types of gameplay elements such as like you know dropping down a shield or having different types of of items that weren't necessarily weapons per se but they also um enhanced the the combat itself it had you know one might even say it uh evolved the combat there you go which is an acceptable uh, dyslexic way of coming into all things. Hmm. And going on from there. Uh, so, Bungie, I think Halo Reach was probably the final, I think it was the final title that Bungie had its hands on, and then it, it got um, transferred over, like the torch was passed over to 343 uh, to Halo 4. And of course, you know, there's, there's a lot more I want to know, Steve. Describe the feeling you get when you hear the Halo theme. I want it as uh, my ringtone. I'll never get tired of it. Actually, there was one time when I had a bunch of dishes to wash, and I had the Halo theme song playing in the background on repeat. <laughs> and, it, and it was playing throughout the entire house. It was beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. I think... John Williams would approve. Yeah. It is one of the, the, the theme songs that I will never forget. Definitely. There, there are um, a handful of, of titles that I've played throughout my gaming career. But the, most of them are forgettable. Well, I was going to say, that there's a handful of them that I will always remember. Like, I will always remember Sonic the Hedgehog's theme. I'll always remember Super Mario theme. Yeah, you know, the... Daytona's theme. Absolutely. Yeah. There are certain ones that like I will always remember. Granted, most of them I will forget. Mm -hmm. But Halo will mm -hmm. always be with me. Mm -hmm. Like the force. <laughs> <laughs> Just struggle with others than some others. <laughs> As a character, Steve, what did Master Chief mean to you? Master Chief. Jeez, Russ. Uh, what? This segment will be three hours long. Hey, you know what? This is Halo, and we're going to do it right. Master Chief. Master Chief is a strong, silent type. He doesn't have much to say, but when he says it, it's got balls. You know, Russ? Huevos. Huevos. <laughs> Big freaking marbles. But it wasn't like he was... He was you know, trying to be a badass. He was getting the job done as a masculine man would. Spartan, where are you going? To give them back their bomb. Okay, green light, go! That's my boy. That's my boy. So what does that mean to you, Steve? What is the character, like his, with Master Chief being that way? He's a, he's a man among men. He responds favorably. Or a man among boys. <laughs> a man among betas. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so you respond positively to the alpha male aspect to Master Chief. The alpha, well, not about the alpha. Alpha male had its own connotations. You can say alpha male was... Um, oh, what was that MTV show? <laughs> Jim Tan Laundry. <laughs> what? Alpha male. I don't know if I'd give him the term alpha male. Oh. I don't think alpha male, but 
I would say the man who gets stuff in charge who doesn't have to be brash or cocky or loud mouthy or just gets the job done. Because you could say like Duke Nukem was an alpha male. And True. You're and I'm not even come. Duke, he's not even the same picture. He's not even the same town. He's not even the same state. Russ. But is he in the same country? Maybe not. Maybe not, Russ. Maybe. Maybe not. I think if there was, I think maybe, who's the who's the main character in uh, Wolfenstein? This latest Wolfenstein. Uh, um, it's um. I was going to say John Malkovich. It's not true. It's anyway, that guy is more comparison comparable. Oh, I almost had it. Can keep talking. He's more comparable with with uh, Master Chief than than uh, in terms of his personality. Yeah. Oh, I almost had it again. Crap. It's been a while since I played it. But yeah, I, actually, I'm glad that you brought that up because I really did enjoy that character. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, he's he's definitely he's in, he's in the same vein. So he's he's used to being the one man army. He's resourceful. Uh, you know, he's the protector. He's loyal. I mean, all these good positive terms without being overly aggressive, without being overly brash, without being a smart aleck. Without you know, you want a John. You want a you want a John done. You want a job done. <laughs> you want a John Doe. <laughs> Yeah, you want to be the a John Doe? silent, okay? He makes him a John Doe. <laughs> but it, it's nice that he you, often. Wait, well, I haven't seen his face. I think in Halo Four you see his eyeballs. Yeah, but you don't know who this person is. You don't know if he's a machine. You don't, don't know if he's human. He's just this character that personifies a lot of what is admirable, or a lot of what we would like to see in a hero figure. Mm -hmm. I agree. Would you uh, concur, Doctor? I concur, Captain. Lawyer. <laughs> Congressman. Admiral. Were you going to ask me something, Steve? Oh, I had my phone shut off, so I got to turn it back on here. Uh, or, um, so, uh, yeah. <gasps> so when you picked it... <laughs> <laughs> so, obviously, I had been playing more than you. Because I had to buy you the freaking game. Are you talking about the Master Chief collection? I don't know, Russ. What game did I give you recently? Well, you gave me. Yeah, well, they, okay, so yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, Sonic the Hedgehog 20 years ago, Russ. We were talking about that one. <laughs> you didn't buy me that game. I bought yeah, that Okay, for okay, fine. Maybe I did. Maybe I bought the second one. Anyway. You did not buy me any Sonics. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> okay. So, you picked the game back up. And you started playing it again, and you could flip back and forth between the graphics they had going mm -hmm. on and the graphics that they had. Absolutely. And which is a big, obviously, selling point of the game. Mm -hmm. What'd you think, Rose? We, we, we played a little bit. Did you play a little bit of Halo 1? No. Oh. I started uh -huh. with Halo 2 because I knew that they had done the whole graphics thing. Yeah. And then we played a little bit of Halo 3. Mm -hmm. Okay. But you haven't gone into the Halo 1 yet, have you? Nope, but I, I'm looking forward to it. Okay. So, what do you think of the job they did? I think that they did um, a, a really nice job. I think that 343 used this. I, I, okay, let me back a little bit. I think it was smart of 343 to come out with a game like this. Because didn't they come out with Master Chief Collection before they made Halo 4? 
Uh, or am I no, thinking of no, 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 no. They came out with Halo 4, and then they came out with this. That's why Halo 4 is included in this game. Did they come out with like a standalone version of like one of the Halo games before the collection came out? Because I feel like, like I want to say they before they came out with Halo 4, they actually as almost like a warm up. They they created something, some kind of like they went back to the basics of like Halo One or maybe I don't know. Like there was something there. I, there, I think there might have been like a Halo Classic Edition. Yeah, and, that's what and it was. not not the Master Chief Collection. I, that might have been what you're thinking. Well, there, there was something that had come out where it was before, like, they had their like their own version or vision of Halo, and it went back to the basics of one of the original classics of Halo, which I thought was a smart move because it pays respects to what Bungie had created, and especially since they had passed the torch, I was really happy to see, like, just the level of seriousness that 343 was giving the, the, the franchise of Halo. And then once this game was done, then they, then they went into doing Halo 4. And I was really pleased with that. But in terms of, of looking at the graphics, you know, I was really pleased. To, I'm, I'm, always, um, I'm always fascinated with how technology continues to move forward and how what we view at this point in time in life, if we see a brand new game come out, we're blown away by it for um, the, the kind of the, the short term. But then as we move forward, it becomes very out of date very quickly. And it was interesting to me when I was playing Halo 2 and just going back and forth, it is insane to see how simple the textures and graphics, poly count, all that kind of stuff was back for its time. But I remember playing it and at the time thinking, man, this is just cutting edge. This is amazing. And so it was neat to be able to go... Uh, press the button back and forth and just see kind of the facelift that they gave it. Again, the game still feels dated regardless of the facelift, but I certainly appreciated the updated graphics, the updated audio. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it is really nice to be able to romp through it with this this kind of TLC given to the game. I almost, um, I, I really did initially think that they had done that for Halo 1, 2, and 3, but I guess it was just Halo 2 that they had did uh, for the collection itself. Yeah, they basically, for Halo 1, they did do a graphics boost. It's not to the level that, that Halo 2 is at, but they de you can definitely flip back and forth. Halo 2, they gave the special treatment too because they redid all the cutscenes and they made them not chop in and out like they used to on, on the Xbox. And... They were the, I mean, Halo 2, yeah, got, got the special treatment. Halo 3, they basically kept everything the same, but it's about, I think they increased their frame rate to like 60 frames a second. Yeah. Which I would love for them to still maybe drop it as a DLC, do a, a full revamp of Halo 3. I think that would be awesome. I mean, Halo 3 was already running on the, set, the next generation system, and mm -hmm. so they have a lot of room to play. Yeah. I think that'd be great. Now, of course, um, let's talk about where Halo is today. They had released Halo 5, which um, a lot of people, myself included, and I think you too, we just weren't very impressed with the single-player campaign. We didn't care for where they took the story. And I remember commenting to you playing through at least the, the first 50% of the game. I remember, I remember turning to you on the couch and saying, this doesn't feel like a Halo game. And that's a big problem. And I remember probably like the 
last third of the game, it started to kind of feel a bit more like Halo, which was good. But that was a real concern that I had because, the, you know, it, it, some people can can look at the the history of Halo and just try and write it off like, oh, well, it's just like this this guy in a spacesuit and he has a gun and he's shooting down these little aliens and stuff. And it's like, no, that there, Halo is so much more deeper than that. There is a certain magic that, like you said, a formula. There's something that's there that you have, like, it's it's so... It's so it's it's so hard to be able to maintain and and just nurture that, you know. If you stepped a little just too far outside of it, then you lost it. And I think that that's that you know moving forward, I think that is something that that three four three um, is going to have to really pay close attention to. Um, I mean, what what are your thoughts on the current state of? Yeah, you know, so I think it's actually still trying to figure out its identity. I think they have this super successful franchise, and they're thinking, "What, where, what can we do it? Are we, what, what can we do it for?" As, <laughs> as it becomes itself, you know, you're not going to get any kind of judgment from me because I clearly can't do math. Uh, so it's been a long day. I can't do math. You can't do English. Okay, brain. You don't like me and I don't like you, but somehow we're going to have to work together on this. Two peas in a pod right here. <laughs> oh, gosh. I, I got to say, it was really funny. This reminds me of uh, my wife and I, you know, I have a horrible sense of direction <laughs> and my wife can't tell her left from her right. So when we're in the car together, she has a better sense of direction than I do. But I know my left from my right, so I'm asking her where to go. She goes, go that way. I'm like, I don't know which way that is. And it's just, oh my gosh, you get into some pretty amusing situations. Anyway, go ahead. So when I threw in Halo 4, it right away, within the first level, it was not the same. It was different. And I almost started, and the, and the disinterest began. I think 343 knows what they're doing with with the CG cinematics. I think they're very expressive and emotional, but I think they're relying too much on maybe the the original Halo games to bring the audience into the games they want to create. And you'll notice it with some stuff that Cortana says. Like she'll repeat some stuff in the last game. Oh, don't don't uh, tell the girls uh, I promise if you can't keep it, or you know whatever. And I thought, well, that you just took that out of Halo 3 when you brought it into Halo 4. I mean, have a Cortana say something different, more memorable. Um, or it could be uh, the, the, the new enemies. I just couldn't grasp the forerunners. The forerunners. Yeah, I, I still can't. Part of what made Halo fun is that you could you believe that if this was to happen, these weapons make sense, these enemies make sense, these vehicles make sense. It, it all feels right, like it should. And it all feels kind of balanced. And with the Forerunners, yeah, you know, the, the Guilty Spark said that in the in the in the game about the Forerunners. They were they were talking about it. So yeah, the name was right, but the enemies just didn't feel authentic enough for me to like them as much as the grunts and the elites and right. you know, whatever. Uh, nor did the weapons. The weapons just felt, okay, we got to make a shotgun because we have a shotgun for the human side, so we got to make a forerunner shotgun, and we got to make a forerunner. And then, okay, make some other... It just didn't seem authentic. They all kind of gravitated together, and a bunch of parts came, and all of a sudden you have a gun. It just didn't feel right. So 
Then you bring Halo 5 in, and then they had some microtransactions with the multiplayer and that whole slippery slope. And so I start to think, okay, what worked back in the day prior to all these Michael, Jack- My- Michael Jackson's, Russ? Um, <laughs> Michael Jackson's and the Beat It's. Uh, <laughs> that'll cost you five. Shamounds! Yeah, uh, I was going to say, there's a, there's a Michael Jackson skull that you can activate <laughs> for Halo. You shoot a grunt in the head. Shamoun! <laughs> Oh, and instead of the kids going, yay, he goes, how? Anyway. <laughs> Actually, that's a pretty good idea. Uh, thank you very much, Russ. Heard this one quite a bit. So, we're in Halo 5, and Halo 5, yeah, it, it was it was a grind to get through. I I, didn't, I don't care to play Halo 4 any, at all. Halo 5, I might repeat, but it's still like they're in Halo. By Halo 2, they already knew what they wanted to do and where they wanted to go, and so it felt right. This one, Halo 5, feels slightly different than Halo 4, but it's still like, okay, Halo Infinite's coming out. Is it going to be along the same lines? Are they going to try something else again? Uh, I think, you know, I'm going to jump in here. Um, I personally really liked what they did with Halo 4. I think that there was a lot of of, uh, good progressive movement for the story the and just the, the world itself. I personally liked the Forerunners. I, um, I think when it came to Halo 5, the biggest issue I had with it was this idea of going back and forth between playing as Commander Locke versus Master Chief. And I think that that was a big mistake. Well, it I, almost feels like they're trying to kill off Master Chief. Well, or, I, or, or like make him not cool anymore. I think they're trying to share the spotlight. And I think that's a big no-no. I think that Master Chief deserves the spotlight alone and there's nothing wrong with that i think that 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 they were kind of toying and flirting with the idea that there were all kinds of like you know master chiefs and spartans and stuff and they want to widen that and i and perhaps there is a successful way that they can achieve that but the way the method that they the approach that that they use for halo 5 in my opinion failed and i think they they have learned quite a bit from that so Moving on to the final stage here, which um, where we see Halo going into the future, of course, Halo, is it Halo Infinite? Is that what they're calling That's it? what I think they're calling it, yeah. Um, which, by the way, they, they got to show something on the next E3. They, they got to show something. I'm sure they'll have some kind of text. Where should they take the story? Well, that was the question I was going to ask you. Well, I'm glad uh, I beat you to the <laughs> punchy punch. Or, or, do you want me to answer? I thought you were going to continue with the question. Uh, yeah, go, Russ. So with Halo, we have seen, obviously, the ring s- story and that we know that there is not just one ring, there are multiple rings. We have seen the Covenant, and we have been introduced to the Forerunners as well. I do like the idea that we are being introduced to more alien species out there. I think that it's a mistake to constantly have you know, the humans versus the covenant. That story has been told. I think it's okay that if if they are in the story, they continue to be in the story at some capacity, I'd be okay with that. But ultimately, this is a whole galaxy, a whole universe to explore. And I think that, that there needs to be a lot more thought placed into just having more of these different types of, of, of characters that can be introduced that could enrich the world and perhaps get plugged into the overarching story. Or maybe maybe Master Chief is able to go on to other adventures. 
And I think that that is something that 343 has struggled with as well, where it's like they get a little too caught up in the lore that was created by Bungie. And I understand that they want to do right by Bungie in, in you know, staying in the lore, but I do think that it's important to explore what else could be out there because there's all kinds of different stories that could be told that deal with strife and conflict and threat and everything else. And so I'm, I'm really wanting to see them push that with, with Halo Infinite. Clearly, um, I think the rings will still play a part and that's okay. But again, I just, I don't want them to chain themselves too much to these different ideologies that made Halo original in the first place, but now has been done to death. Right. No, I, I, I definitely think they, I, I think they need to move away from the forerunners. I, I think when, with the first Halo, they had the covenant and then the second Halo, we had brutes and then the third Halo, we had the flood. And I mean, some of, some of which they, were introduced in the other games as well. They were scattered about, but you definitely had the major, these major alien races prevalent in each game. Halo 4 and Halo 5 were mainly just the Forerunners and nothing new. And I'm kind of done with the Forerunners or I want to see something else. I want I want new weapons, new enemies, maybe even like, I don't know if we want to give Master Chief a rest. I don't know, but if we go to... <laughs> like the elite side and we see what wars they had and they keep the actor that does the voice for like that, the main elite. I don't even know how I can't remember his name, but the arbiter arbiter. <laughs> Godly. You're welcome. Anyhow, that voice actor is the man. I, he, they yeah, have, he's great. Oh, keep him on. But if they, maybe if they centered around maybe with what happened with the elites and where they went and the other aliens or, you know, wars that they had. I think that would be cool because mm -hmm. like, cause you could, it might be like a, a prequel to Halo one in yeah. a sense. I think that would be neat, but if they stick with the forerunners, uh, they're gonna have an uphill climb. Well, I think we could continue talking about this title, uh, for hours and hours and hours. And I think it, perhaps we could even do a bonus Patreon episode hmm. of this going more of, um, of a, of a focus on Halo Infinite and what we would like to see. But for now, I think that wraps up this episode of Joygasm. Make sure you tune in next week. Thanks for hanging out with us. If you enjoyed this episode, we invite you to check out patreon.com slash joygasm and consider becoming a monthly contributor. You'll get exclusive perks and early access to the show. Not to mention, it really helps us continue doing what we love to do. Also, you can follow us on social media and YouTube. Just do a search for Joygasm TV. In addition to iTunes and Android, you can listen to our podcast on TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Spotify, and SoundCloud.com slash joygasmtv. Last but not least, search Joygasm TV on Twitch to see us stream our gaming adventures live every Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Central Time. We will see you all next week. Later.